there. Welcome to the Bandroom Podcast. I'm Dylan Maddox. And I'm Kate Nishimura. And, and we're here for another exciting episode. And you notice I usually say that when we're talking to a guest right before we talk to the guest. But we don't have a guest today. It's just us. Just the two of us. Yeah, it's just the <laughs> two of us. Um, so we thought it might be uh, a little bit interesting if you got to know us a little bit more on a personal level. There's many um, things that we're going to talk about today that I don't think for either of us are documented anywhere. Mm -hmm. Some of it is, but um, especially for Kate, she's done many more podcast <laughs> interviews than I have. Um, but there are a couple that I am the guest. Uh, but anyway, so uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a great, a great ride. We don't know what's going to happen for the most part. <laughs> it's a mystery. I know. I'm excited yeah, to hear what your answers are to the questions. Yeah, who knows? You know? Oh my gosh. Oh my <laughs> gosh. So if you are looking for a guest, you can leave now. Uh, if you are <laughs> interested in hearing what we have to say on various topics, keep on listening. That's all I have to say about that. Yeah. Um, and But before you keep on listening, maybe you should press pause because... Please do us a huge favor and head over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please give the Band Room Podcast a rating and a review because it really helps others find the podcast. We really do want other people to listen to these conversations. Yeah, why not? And we've it's been since since Kate's been on, we've been having better even better reception than we usually <laughs> do for the episodes. Uh, my own brother, who's at one point in his life was a band person. Um, and then was sick of hearing about his older brother in the band program, um, <laughs> ended up quitting. But he was just like, oh, you guys make such a great team. Aww. And uh, and he himself is a singer-songwriter. And then when he found out Kate was a singer-songwriter as well as a composer, he just couldn't handle it. So this it's it's been great. Well, thanks, um, Dylan's brother. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Logan. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, and uh, I already mentioned that we really don't, fully know what's going to happen today um, and that is also true for the, for the bonus episode we have no idea what we're going to talk about but there will be a bonus episode mark my words will there <laughs> ever be a bonus episode uh, and you can hear that bonus episode if you become a patron through patreon uh, where you can support the bandroom podcast with the various costs that come with running a podcast oh my gosh i need to stop right now and tell you that Kate's cat has made an appearance on the podcast. Yes. Oh my gosh. Luna has entered the room. And Luna probably entered the room because she heard me talking about Patreon. Probably. <laughs> Luna says, please become says, a supporter rah, 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 rah. of the Band Room podcast on Patreon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but for real, cute cat aside, um, you, you should strongly consider becoming a patron because there's so many great incentives that you get in return like hearing the bonus episodes, and now there's quite a back catalog being built of uh, of some bonus content with uh, a lot of our past guests, uh, as well as band trips gone wrong. Who doesn't want to hear about that? Uh, as well as um, maybe some behind-the-scenes stuff, uh, which I'm actually going to talk about today, um, and uh, other things like monthly Zoom hangs, which will be happening very soon mm -hmm. uh, because the month is almost done. So Kate and I are going to hang out probably by ourselves. So... <laughs> We don't want to be by ourselves. Please come hang out we, with us. Yeah. At least once to twice a week, we're already, it's just us. Yeah. So um, come hang out with us. We want to hear from you. We want to hang out with you. It's going to be fun. Mm -hmm. That's all I have to say about that. Yep. So let's j dive 
headfirst into these questions. So these, uh, I thought that maybe we would have to make up some questions, but we have thrown this out to the great Bandroom podcast universe and community and asked y'all for some questions. And you, my God, did you ever deliver? <laughs> uh, but there's not one question here that Kate or I put in here. Um, nope. So some of them are serious. Some of them <laughs> have to do with band and music education and composing and conducting. But there's a number of uh, just just uh, ease <laughs> ease your ears in your brain. Yes. Uh, there's some fun ones in there, which uh, we'll have with. So I'm going to uh, throw it this question to Kate first. But mm-hmm. could you tell us, in regular <laughs> band room podcast tradition, could you tell us about your earliest band memory? Yeah. It's like every episode begins with something like this, yeah. right? <laughs> How did you get started? Um, yeah, I have talked about my early band experiences at great length, but uh, never in the context of, of what's my first memory of, of band. And so um, when I think about this, I am back in the, the classroom where I went to, to school when I was in grade six, uh, and mm-hmm. we were all selecting our instruments Um, and I remember feeling like there was so much weight to that decision because (laughs) I was already like really interested in music. I was taking piano lessons. I was listening to music a lot, uh, Mm -hmm. and, and I was super interested in it. And so I, I think I felt like it was so important that I made the right choice and, uh, I was, I was nervous about it. So my earliest band memory was like, this is something I think I'm going to like, I want to make sure that I don't screw it up. And so uh, <laughs> I, wa- I wanted to play the French horn. Um, that was my my like first choice. I thought it was, it was such wow. a cool instrument. It got to play the melody. It got to play the supportive role. It got to do like epic fanfare things, but it was softer than the trumpet. You know, no offense. I know, I know you're a trumpet player. Yeah, and at this point you had not heard of John Philip Sousa. No, and his offbeats. I had not. Um, <laughs> okay. I had not. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I remember it being like a little bit stressful for eleven-year-old Kate, or however old I, I was at that time. Um, but uh, I ended up getting the clarinet, and uh, I have actually told this story before um, in in a couple of places. So maybe I don't need to tell it again. But I I, I didn't have a great experience with the clarinet. I I was the last person in my class to be able to make a sound on my instrument. Mm. And I was very sad because I think I was the only person in my class who was already doing musical things outside of school. So I was like, what the heck? I should be able to do something here. Um, but maybe you maybe you were like the only one with like a three and a half read or something. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. Everyone yeah. else had a one. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and it was and it was very loud. There was like, you know, the the whole I'm sure this is a classic experience for everybody just the cacophony of everybody trying their instruments for the first time but I I couldn't make a sound and so I got to listen to everybody else and I faked it for a little while but um anyway that's my earliest band memory was was placing so much weight on that decision and wow. I, I don't think it would have mattered in, in, you know in the end but. <laughs> <laughs> well, well maybe maybe if I, I was a I French horn so, player but... it might have been might have been a whole different life yeah, because we've already talked about those rock and bass clarinet lines that you have in many of your pieces. <laughs> it's true. And if you had, it might have been rock and horn. No, I'm kidding, folks. There's there are also rocking horn lines in Kate's pieces. There are. Yes. And what about um, you? What was your earliest band memory? My earliest band memory. So I um, it's a little bit 
uh, different just because I actually can't remember um, so far back. I began my life, <laughs> my musical life, as a choir choir kid um, because in Prince Edward Island, where I grew up, um, you don't start band until summer of grade six. Uh, grade seven, you actually like start mm -hmm. in, in classes and stuff. And that's pretty straightforward for all the schools on PEI. Um, so what happens is your grade six year, um, the junior high schools, uh, my my high school, uh, my junior high school in particular, Summerside Intermediate, uh, Peter Gallant, who's been a guest on this podcast, um, take takes the band to uh, various uh, elementary schools and and does a little a little show and tell kind of concert thing like hey yeah rah rah join band, um, so that was I think probably my earliest band memory, but I had looked up to Peter Gallant as a celebrity like in town for for a very long time before that. And anytime I saw him at the grocery store, I was like, oh my gosh, it's, it's, it's Mr. Gallant. That's so it's cute. Mr. Gallant. And uh, so I really looked up to him before I even knew him. Um, but they, uh, they came to uh, Parkside Elementary in this big old boomy gymnasium. And, you know, we're all on the floor cross-legged and, and watching this <laughs> yep. probably not great band, but I thought it was just the most amazing sound ever. And um, and they played a lot of stuff. And there was one tune in particular that just inspired me. And it's that, that famous beginning band tune that inspires all children, Tequila. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because it featured, it featured the trumpets. Yeah. And they were just so shiny and they got to stand up when they did it. Um, and I actually got to conduct it. As a little grade six kid, um, Peter Glant asked a bunch of questions. I got the question right. Uh, so he called me up and he grabbed my little wrist. And, and that's and, where and, it all began. And that's where it all began. That's and now so I have nice. an ego. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's where that was my earliest band memory. That being said, um, when it comes to my instrument choice, uh, I had to for for band and PEI, you have to test into it. It's not like okay. anyone gets to do band. Oh, mm -hmm. I'm sure. I'm sure the test isn't actually that accurate. I don't know. I knew nothing, so I yeah. got in. Um, but you have to list, like probably much like you, you have to list your order of what mm. you want. And my first choice, get ready for this. This is how we know it was meant to be. Was French horn? Really? <laughs> yeah. No way. I think trumpet was my trumpet was my third choice. Clar clarinet was my second choice. Yeah, same. Because uh, because at the time it might have changed at this point. Um, if you played clarinet, you could get upgraded to saxophone. Yeah, that was the case <laughs> at my school too. And so oh, okay. everybody chose the clarinet because they wanted to play the saxophone. And yeah, it's it's I funny how that works. Pedagogically, it should be the other way around. I think so too. Yeah, I'm a much better saxophonist than I'm a clarinetist. Yeah, that, uh, I'm glad like, that I got. What's up with the be natural fo folks? I, I just know. don't get it. Why does it have to be that hard? I don't know. You it's, couldn't have added a key to make it easier. It's just less hard the more you do it. But yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> I'm thankful still. that I got that I got to play the bass clarinet because I, I think if my school like didn't have a bass clarinet or something like that, honestly, I don't know how long I would have stuck with playing in the concert band. Because um, yeah. as I mentioned, like clarinet was just not I, I liked it. I liked playing in the band. It's just that I feel like I wasn't really well suited to that instrument um, specifically. And so getting to play the bass clarinet uh, just it opened up a whole world for me. I felt like I was good at it and it was, I was the only one in my school to play it. And I think that was good for me too, because I stopped comparing myself to other people and I stopped oh like yeah, thinking so deep. hard, you know? Yeah. I was just on my own and like I had my own parts and stuff and, and that independence was probably good, but. 
I, I still kind of wish I got to play French horn. <laughs> French horn is such a cool instrument. Yeah, but I feel like we both would have been really frustrated and we would have quit. Yeah, that like might we, be true. We both we both picked instruments that reasonably lock in to pitch okay. Yeah. But horn is like, oh, I'm, I missed, <laughs> missed my low A again. <laughs> so uh, anyway. That's true. So the next question that came in was, what is the last live concert that you went to before the pandemic? I actually, <laughs> I had to look at two places to figure this out. One was my calendar <laughs> and uh, second was Facebook because I usually post about things I go yeah, see. Yeah. Uh, and I went to go see and it, it this was a very special concert for me. I was in uh, Kingston, Ontario. Uh, because I was watching my amazing harpist wife, Kristen Tuchko, um, play the Michael Conway Baker Concerto uh, for Harp and Orchestra with the Kingston Symphony. That's so um, cool. Yeah, so she was playing that, and there was a lot of other great music. There was an, oh, there was a big piece on the program besides the concerto that has a big trumpet thing, and my friend John Elliotson is principal in Kingston. Oh, yeah, cool. And I remember going, hey, that didn't sound half bad. <laughs> uh, and then teasing him backstage. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, but that was my last live concert. I don't remember what my last in person, like that I played or conducted was. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't look that up. But. Yeah, that's OK. How about you, Kate? That's a pretty cool one, though. Um, yeah, my last my last live concert was something that I was a part of. Um I'm pretty sure I I haven't actually looked looked at my calendar, but I I'm pretty sure because the when the pandemic hit like in full form, everything started to get mm. canceled and everything. It was 48 hours before I was scheduled to fly somewhere uh, and do a residency with a school. So oh, there was this whole series of things that were supposed to happen that just all of a sudden weren't going to happen anymore. So the last thing that I did before that, I had just gotten back from Lethbridge, Alberta where I had a gig with Dr. Jillian McKay and we were we were the guests for the International Women's Day uh, concert band mm-hmm. spectacular. I'm not sure there was some <laughs> sort of name for the event. I can't remember. Um, but yeah. Potpourri. Uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. We use that once here at the yeah. faculty. So. Um, but it was a it was a combined thing between the Lethbridge Community Band Society and uh, the University of Lethbridge and Lethbridge Collegiate Institute. And, you know, so all, all of the bands were were on stage and um, all of the music was written by women and all of the guest conductors uh, for the entire event were women as well. And so that was kind of cool to be a part of that. It was particularly cool because, you know, anytime you get to share a gig with your mentor is just a really special moment. Uh, so it makes me a little bit sad to think about that and to actually acknowledge, (laughs) wow, that was the last, that was the last thing that I did, you know? Um, but I'm glad it was that because it was such a good memory. It was such a positive experience and something that, inspired me so much you know coming back on the on the flight back to Toronto I lived in Toronto at that time uh (laughs) I remember thinking like this is why I do what I do and I can't wait to do it again and then immediately I didn't get to do it again you know even up until this point so it's it's sad but 
Um, but yeah, that was that was the last thing, and it was pretty awesome. So can't complain. I about feel like that. that's a uh, that's a good foundational memory to build your pandemic experience on. I think <laughs> if so. That makes sense. I think so. Like if if I had if I didn't have that experience, or if I had had a like a, a negative experience of some sort, and then everything mm -hmm. kind of stopped, uh, I think that really would have changed my outlook going into you know the last year that has happened since then. So yeah, yeah. and you were in Jillian's hometown. I know it was so nice. Isn't that crazy? She brought me to. We had like an hour in between a rehearsal and another rehearsal or something, and and she brought me to a park. She knows I like those, and uh, we went, we <laughs> Trees. went for a nice walk. Yeah, it was it was beautiful. <laughs> well, that's great. Yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. um, now we're gonna get a little bit, get, get, get a bit lighter. I know we haven't gone too <laughs> too heavy yet, mm -hmm. but um, as she sips her coffee. Um, how many cups of coffee do you drink on an average day? <laughs> I forgot that that question was next. Um, I swear that was not a planted moment in this. Um, how many cups of coffee do I drink on an average day? Uh, okay. I would say like in terms of total volume, probably like two cups of coffee a day. Mm -hmm. It's it's relatively reasonable. But um, working from home, I, I'm in this awful habit of like, reheating the same cup of coffee seven times because i just forget like seven i'm i'm maybe that's extensive i know but it's you know i have the coffee <laughs> and then i get so consumed by the task that i'm doing that i forget to drink the coffee and then i go oh, kind of thirsty kind of want some coffee kind of fading in energy here and then i remember oh right i had i had the coffee and i forgot mm. So I've, I've gotten into that pattern. But uh, someone told me that I need to make sure, because I used to drink a lot more coffee. Um, I'm glad that it's reasonable now. I used to drink a lot more. Mm -hmm. uh, someone told me to always drink more water than you drink coffee. Like I needed to be told that. Oh, oh yeah. That, that's Oh. <laughs> yeah. I thought um, that was bad. Okay. No, but, it, but it's evened itself out now. Because as you can see, well, <laughs> listeners, you cannot see. What Dylan is seeing is that I'm holding up a coffee cup and a water cup because I have both with me all oh. the time now. <laughs> Good. Yeah. So how yeah. about you? For, well, I actually, <laughs> very similar. Uh, start my day with a cup of joe. Um, and then I've realized that for my oper my, you know, my prime operating capacity, can't really have another one um, during the day. I'm mm -hmm. kind of just, I'm already uh, naturally pretty pumped. <laughs> Um, so, so for me, my, my palms get sweaty and, and all of that stuff. Right. Um, but I, uh, yeah. And I, <laughs> you know, anxiety kicks. I'm just like, oh, I'm thinking of <laughs> too many things. So too many cups of coffee does that for me. Um, but I had, I had started drinking coffee later in life, not till my third or fourth year of university. Oh. And, um, yeah, but I remember I do, I have, I have a couple funny co over coffee drinking stories. One of which. I don't want to keep up bringing Jillian McKay, but she was. We pre presented a, a conducting workshop together uh, last year, and um, you know, as one does, you order the coffee and stuff for and snacks for everyone, mm -hmm. for, you know, for the breaks. So we had ordered this big thing of coffee here in Sudbury, and um, my lovely wife went and picked it up and brought it in, and there was a sticker on it that said decaf. <gasps> and so anyway, so I just went to town. I'm like, well, it's not really coffee, so I'm just. <laughs> I had like seven cups. Yeah. And I was already nervous. It was, you know, my <laughs> first time running my mm -hmm. own conducting symposium yeah. and, you know, teach was coming up yep. <laughs> to do it. So, uh, but anyway, I had seven cups and then, uh, and I thought I was fine. 
And then at some point, um, someone called Tim Hortons just to talk about the mix-up. And they said, oh, no, no, we just forgot to take the sticker off. It's regular coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and then as soon as someone said that to me, I, like, yeah, I just went crazy. Like, my, I, couldn't, I couldn't do anything. Like, as soon as you knew <laughs> that you had yeah. seven cups of full caffeinated coffee, it's you all in the realized. Head. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. interesting. I, I wonder if you, like, just switched the labels on things for yourself. Probably. If you would placebo yeah. effect, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So yeah. that's that's <laughs> that, that's how that's going to work. The next question is one that's well this is going to be interesting. Okay, it's what mm-hmm. is your least favorite band piece? And this is interesting because I I don't know, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to say anything uh on, that that's recorded for other people to hear about any specific <laughs> piece or person. Yeah. But what do you think? Mm-hmm. Oh great. Okay. What yeah, do you what... think about that? <laughs> Or the the hard question. Yeah, just to reiterate what Kate just mentioned, we you know we are a band music education music podcast that loves everyone and all creators. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the direction we're gonna talk about <laughs> instead is maybe uh, what we kind of see as going into a bad band piece or maybe a poorly constructed band piece. Doesn't necessarily have to be bad. Maybe bad for me and is different for than what is bad for Kate and mm-hmm. what is different uh, for bad for you, whatever you might think. So this is all very subjective. Yeah. Um, but certainly um, the more that I pick music, uh, the more that I uh, work with students, I want, um, I want to pick repertoire that is not only really fun to play because I think that's very high on people's list. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but I, I want music that is going to support uh, my students' needs at that given time. So uh, that being said, like right now, I probably wouldn't do, yeah. you know, we're not going to do Child's Garden of Dreams or anything. <laughs> um, so I want to pick music that's, you know, technically accessible uh, and all that stuff. Um, and then I, and I, this is, this is one of the elements that we can talk about. Uh, I generally want to pick music that has something musical for everyone yeah and it might you know it doesn't have to be half the page but they need some kind of moment that they can latch onto and and actually you know do music for why we do it to emote and to have connection with rather than you know a poor little timmy who's got a half a page or a page of offbeats <laughs> um that's not very musically inspired. that would have been Although our fate as french horn players if we yeah had. see and we yeah. dodged that yeah. bullet <laughs> love you horn players yeah um so i think for me that's that's probably one of the big ones um and and i'm and i'm not just saying this because you're here but certainly we're doing the um the flex version of into the blue right now mm-hmm. and you know part four gets the melody it certainly does i know yeah yeah my bass clarinet player loves it <laughs> that makes me so happy because that was the yeah. whole point that was that's always my goal um as a composer and especially as a composer of music for um you know musicians of varying levels like mm-hmm. writing for middle school band community band beginner band that kind of thing um it has to be engaging. It has to be interesting. It can't be the kind of thing where, like you said, Dylan, like half the people are really, really with it and present and excited about what they're doing. And then other people are tuned out because they don't have enough to do or mm-hmm. because they don't get to take a turn 
you know, with the important part in air quotes, important, but you know, um, the melody. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I try, it's not as if I give everybody the melody in every piece that I write, but I, I try mm. to be equitable as much as possible and just, yeah. you know, not giving anybody an obscene amount of rests or, um, whole notes tied to whole notes infinitely and you know i mean mm -hmm. there are there are moments where that's important and necessary but just just being mindful of what yeah. it would be uh, like to play the piece like i try to right. think about that <laughs> when i when i'm writing a, a, a piece if i look only at the score i see lots going on at all times um but something i've started to do recently is you know, instead of editing the full score, I edit one part at a time, uh, mm -hmm. even before the piece is finished, so that I can take a look at, from the perspective of that individual, is there enough to do? Is Does this part by itself look like something that I would want to play if it were put in front of yeah. me, right? Um, yeah. So it's it's important, I think, to to address that. But, and then, but with all of that being said, because we both, you know, or I think we line up <laughs> with what yeah. we think. Um, that being said, there is a certain point where it's like, okay, you chose your destiny when you chose that instrument. <laughs> and there's, you know, there's going to be, you know, if you are a tuba player, you are going to play a lot of whole notes. Mm -hmm. But uh, so what I think what we're trying, well, what, yeah, what we've, what we've said is just, it's very important um, for me as a conductor and as a teacher to give that opportunity to everyone and not just first trumpet, not just first flute. Um, yeah. Because you don't know who's going to be the next Roger Bobo yeah. or whoever it is. Yeah. Um, so that's been something really important. And then the other thing I want to bring up, where I think we'll actually line up again, um, is what is the piece about? Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of music that's written just because it had to be written. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it has, um, you know... It might be for that reason, or it might be something um, like personally, I don't want to put a piece in front of my kids that two and a half pages of accented whatevers yeah, yeah. that just foster that kind of playing. Mm -hmm. For me, that's a bad kind of band piece. Mm -hmm. Note that I still have not said a specific piece, <laughs> uh, but that that kind of stuff that that fosters kind of a harsh sound. Yeah. Um, and maybe even at some points, uh, physical pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to. Uh, I want to avoid th those kind of things when I'm picking a, a good piece of music. And does it move you as a teacher, as a conductor, as a uh, whoever you are? Um, because as uh, our guest last week, Caitlin Bove, talked about, if it doesn't move you, it's you can't fool anyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for um, sure. So that I think that's very important to consider. So yeah. that's th that's my two cents. On that. Yeah. It's everything in moderation though, right? Like I think it oh, yeah. is there there's a time and a place for aggression and and like heavy accents and, and things like that in music at all levels, I think. As long as it's not exclusive to, you know, the entire piece is is something like that. It, similarly, yeah. you know, a lot of people get bored with lyrical pieces that don't really go anywhere. Like if, if it's oh, yeah. just soft and slow. And it doesn't seem to have any sort of direction, you know, so I'm playing devil's advocate here, but just that both sides of, of that spectrum um, yeah. are not ideal. You want to have some variety, even if I'm writing a slow piece or a really, really tender emotional piece, there has to be a moment that feels like joy or a moment that feels like more intense. Right. And then and then yep. we can come away from that. And that's what makes, you know, the contrast is what makes everything effective. So. Yeah. 
that's and my I, and I, yeah. <laughs> and so a lot of my um a lot of my younger um my younger band ex uh, my younger band repertoire experience uh, comes from adjudicating right so I'm, I'm yeah. working on you know I well luckily sometimes I get to work on your pieces like a couple times in a row so that's <laughs> nice yeah um, but occasionally I get I I have pieces that are like oh great it's it, your part has five F's in it yeah like. You don't need to, you know, that I think is highly unnecessary or it's a forte oh, piano I was working, for the fifth time. I know. I was working with a <laughs> with a, uh, a student. If he's listening, I'm going to tell him to listen to this so that he can hear me say it publicly. Uh-oh. Once you get past a couple of Fs dynamic wise, it's mm-hmm. all going to sound the same. Having mm-hmm. anything that's like four Fs or five or what's the difference between four and five at that point? It's all just incredibly loud. Um, so anyway, that's my two cents. Yeah, and even on the cents. opposite side of the spectrum, <laughs> I can't remember who the composer was, but I remember I played an opera highlights like orchestra gig with you know there's uh, sopranos and stuff that yeah. sing their arias and but I remember I had one note in this aria, and it was um, it was luckily a low note, but it had five P's on it. <laughs> At that point, I think I'll just blow air through the trumpet yeah. <laughs> and like, oh, there you go. No air in the key of low yeah. A or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So both on both sides of the spectrum. After you get past three, is that is that what you mentioned? Three. Yeah. 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 Or yeah. that it's so. all relative, right? Like if if your piece starts at piano and then it goes down to pianissimo, um, you know, re- really what you're working with there is is. The contrast between let's say mezzo forte and pianissimo like it's it's mm-hmm. all relative between the dynamics so if you're really going for that kind of contrast it would be better to just use other ones instead of um mm-hmm. you know because the the mentality of it when you see a marking like that when you see five p's or five f's or whatever it's like how do i make that happen so yeah, yeah. and i also want to reiterate that i know this is a touchy subject <laughs> repertoire mm-hmm. um so just know that we are we are all welcome to our own tastes and our own opinions. Absolutely. And if you disagree with us, that's totally cool. That's mm-hmm. great. That's why the world is sometimes a wonderful place. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So don't don't worry, folks. But that's what Kate and I think. Yeah. <laughs> Take it or leave it. Dang yeah. it. Yep. Um, so the next one is oh, uh, what's a typical behind the scenes process for a podcast episode? Ooh, that's a good question. We don't, I don't really talk, I don't think I've ever talked about this. Yeah, I'm really excited uh, to hear you talk about this because I'm new well, at this game. I'm new to the podcast world. It'll and... probably take the next half hour. So, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, um, I'll, I'll start and then I'll kind of throw it to Kate um, because this is something that the process is, you know, ever changing, especially now that there's another person involved with mm-hmm. the end product. Do you want to talk about kind of what, a week looks like for us and how we start yeah i mean so this is it's only been a couple weeks of of doing this um together thank you again for you know inviting me to be part no, of it the pl- the, the pl- it's, it's all the pleasure's all mine <laughs> uh i mean so one part that i've really enjoyed um is that every time we are getting ready to interview a guest we have to go and research this person and and Mm -hmm. listen to other interviews um with them so that involves listening to other podcasts or watching videos if they've written any articles or anything we get to to go through that stuff and and read 
about their perspective and their experiences. Um, and then that helps us put together what questions we're going to ask when we are speaking with the guest. Um, and that part so far has been really enjoyable for me because I already love listening to podcasts. I already love learning about other musicians and understanding how their experiences inform their work. So that part of it is, is you know, genuinely uh, a highlight of my week now. I love doing that. Um, and then the other side of it, after we we do the actual interview itself is is editing the audio and and preparing that and that i i have nothing to do with at this point so, <laughs> yeah, that's, right so now, uh, yeah <laughs> notice how i said right now it's all mm -hmm. me yes <laughs> um and even before um we do all that research you know uh, we have a we have a very big potential guest list mm -hmm. so uh we're thinking about who might be good and and uh, we try to offset it so it's not like four composers in a row or four conductors in a row or four performers in a row. Mm -hmm. uh, so trying to do it that way. And then as I've talked about on the podcast many times about battling my own biases, I'm really thinking about uh, who who the podcast uh, is representing. Mm -hmm. The listeners are represented by mm -hmm. the guests as well. So that that is something that, that goes into uh, the whole starting process and then all the fun and learning that Kate mentioned. Uh, uh, and then there's the, so once, once we're done interviewing the guests, they, I'm, I'm not letting any secrets out, but they send me their audio. So we have like good, good audio. Uh, and then we start editing. So I'm trying to get, maybe potentially get rid of anything awkward <laughs> that any of us have said, because, you know, we I don't say just, anything awkward. We don't uh, make mistakes. Fine. <laughs> uh, no, for sure. Or, you know, a, an ambulance goes by or something like that. Snowplow. So I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> So I'm taking out all that stuff, um, doing some noise reduction things. There's generally a, a buzz sound on both of our recordings. So just getting rid of that because of the, you know, the input is relatively high, I think, on both of our mics just for them to work. Um, so just stuff like that. Uh, and then, you know, putting the filler music in and all that stuff. And if we have a featured piece, putting that in and trying to get rid of any loud sounds and, and those kind of things. Um, that being said, I'm completely self-taught. And I'm grateful for the advice that we've, you know, even the past couple of weeks, uh, we've we've gotten some advice that that will help quite a bit, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of how that goes. And then we upload it and all that stuff. And we have to upload it on the website. And then we have to upload it onto the podcasting website, which is a different website. And this is getting really long and boring, but that's how it works. And then, uh, yeah, so that's that. And then all the social media stuff, of course. And... Um, we, we upload stuff to Patreon periodically mm -hmm. as well. So that's a separate thing in itself that the process is kind of elongated because of it. But there you go. That's yeah. how you do a podcast, folks. Yeah. You know, what I, what I like about that, though, is that, you know, you admit to being self-taught and to making adjustments as you go. Mm -hmm. Now that you have a co-host and things are a little different, like, I think it just... It sets an example that you don't have to be an expert in something to try doing it, and mm -hmm. uh, I think I think that's a really great thing to to think about. Yeah, yeah. actually, in a couple oh now I'm a little scared. In a couple of weeks, I'm uh, I'm a guest of the Saskatchewan Band Association Ooh. to talk about podcasting and how you might utilize the medium in your uh, various community and school ensembles. Um, so I got to get going on that. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> That'll be a really great resource for people, I'm sure. Um, all right. Well, we've got 
kind of a, a funny, interesting <laughs> question here. This is a real mixed bag of questions, and I, I appreciate that. Um, mm -hmm. So we have this question. What band instrument would you utilize as a weapon during a zombie apocalypse? Oh, my. Walking Dead. <laughs> okay. Have you thought about I've, this? Do you have? I've like, been thinking about it all week. <laughs> <laughs> you want to be yeah. prepared. You, this planted a seed of thought for you. <laughs> yeah. What what instrument is the sharpest? Mm -hmm. um, the deadliest? Um, well, I think due to maybe because of recent events, um, but there was a certain presentation in a certain state that was released in the social media world, <laughs> and and I thought the bassoon in this slideshow. It kind of, I, I, I wrote this on, I think it was, it might have been on Cindy's <laughs> Facebook. I said, wow, this really looks, it looks like an explosive. <laughs> like it just had like, it was a stick with a I little know, line there's, coming there's out There's like of it. so much metal on there and it, and it's, yeah. it's so big. You could just use it like a. But then I was also thinking that, yeah, it's really big and stuff, but it's like many pieces. So I feel like once you mm. did anything with it, it, would one of the 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 seams would let go or like something. The upper like joint that. could come apart or something. Like <laughs> yeah, that. The, yeah. Bo the bocal would just. <laughs> you could probably fly. just use the bocal by itself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. You could anyway, this is getting morbid, but yeah. I, I would I would go with the bassoon. Um, I I was talking to a student today, and we were talking about maybe the use of the trombone. Uh, you can often um, maybe. Uh, Turn it to a, a bazooka of sorts. This is true. Um, yeah, yeah. You could fly that that slide. You could fling that. Um, okay, I think I'm literally just talking about how I could kill someone when, with an instrument. <laughs> now, not okay. so much zombies. Yeah. So this is funny because okay. So the first, the first, I know that the question is is what would you use as a weapon, um, and maybe this is this is where we differ as as individuals, you know. But the first thing that I thought of. <laughs> You're a serial killer, <laughs> Dylan. Oh, okay. No, the first thing I thought of was what could I hide in? And <laughs> and so I thought because when I was when I was a student, uh I had friends sometimes try I'm I'm a relatively small human being. I'm like five feet mm. tall. And I had <laughs> some friends like try to put me in instrument cases and things like that just to see if I could like against your will? I mean, no. I <laughs> There was, there was, there was laughing consent, you know, it was oh, okay, like, okay. oh, okay, fine. I'll, you know, um, but I, so I, I, I curled up inside a tuba case, inside a double bass case, uh, a couple other things, harp case, I think. So I've done the harp case before. Yeah. Um, so that's mm -hmm. kind of where I went, where my mind went was, was where could I hide? What instrument could I hide in? Could I, could I crouch and put a tuba bell over top of myself and the zombies wouldn't know? <laughs> Well, you know, I, uh, now that you say that, I'm picturing both of us in Hunger Games, and um, <laughs> you're like you're like that 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 nerdy couple. Yep. <laughs> that hide in the tree. Or, yep. No, they don't hide in trees, but you know they've got camouflage, and they're ultimately the ones who take down the whole ship, right? Right. Not, exactly. Not to ruin the movie. Spoiler alert! But they, <laughs> uh, yeah, take down the whole dome there. Yeah. And then I'm just the guy who dies right at the beginning because I was too confident. <laughs> yeah. Right. So. I guess there we we'll go, see. folks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's usable. <laughs> I think so. Uh, and now for something completely different. Uh, working with living composers, what 
what it's like from a composer and performer slash conductor standpoint. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I like this. Well, we've I'll got a you, composer and it. performer conductor in yeah. this conversation. So that's there great. Um, okay. Well, so myself being the living composer, I suppose I'll talk about the perspective <laughs> <Living>? of... <laughs> yeah. Well, what's it like working with a living composer? I I am that. So, uh, but for me to work with conductors and performers um, is truly, I think, my favorite part of my job. I really, really enjoy the process of getting to share, um, you know, insight about my work with the people who are who are playing it. Um, being able to tell people almost secrets about the process of creating the piece or, you know, there are some of my instrumental pieces that actually have lyrics that are just my own personal lyrics that that when I was writing the the melodies and things like that. And so occasionally I'll share them with the performers. Um, and that's always just such an enjoyable experience, I think, for everybody involved. Um, so I really see the value in in providing that experience to your students, if you're a teacher and you're listening and you haven't done this before in some capacity, I highly recommend it because it's just, it's such a wholesome experience, I think, to meet the person who created the content that you've been working on for weeks or months mm-hmm. or however long it is to, to be able to put that in context um, and I'm sure you can you can elaborate on that <clears throat> from from your perspective, Dylan. But for me, uh, I know certainly, and I, I've said this in other interviews, and I, I say this all the time, kind of just casually, that without musicians, without performers and conductors, my ideas would live in my head, right? I rely mm-hmm. on you to bring my ideas into the real world. And that relationship, between performer and composer is is somewhat sacred to me. That's so important uh, to what I do, not just because I like it, but because it's essential. And, um, you know, when you play music by uh, historical composers, and this is maybe a, a whole other conversation um, topic, it's it's incredibly important to also play music by historical composers and, and yes. all of that. However, you don't exactly have the option to email them or DM them on Instagram and ask them what they meant by <laughs> this phrase or, you know, is it a mistake that the euphonium and the trombone are playing an E flat and an F? Should they actually be the same? And the answer is yes, I made a mistake in one of my pieces and and uh, someone asked me about it and I was able to correct it for everybody after that, right? So things yeah. like that that are maybe seemingly less significant, but they're they're so important just having... Having the chance to establish that connection, um, I can't speak highly enough about about how important that is to me. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah I, th- I I I fully agree with everything, and especially, uh, well, especially in wind, brass, and percussion world, um, where you know we perform a lot more contemporary music. Um, that uh, the relationship between the conductor. And the composer is uh, one one I think really can't live without the other, yeah. um, and it's it's very important to uh, as even as you know maybe someone who's not regularly regularly commissioning music you can still get in touch with the composer for sure. Um, if I'm to talk about maybe the commissioning process a, a little bit, mm-hmm. I ha- I don't have a terrible amount of experience with it, um, <clears throat> but I know when we 
when I was doing Toronto Wins in Toronto. Uh, it was a very high-level group, and it was great. We did a whole program. I think it was no, it was two world premieres, and and David cool. Yeager wrote this double woodwind quintet that hadn't been performed since the seventies. Oh wow! Nice. <laughs> so we did that. But I remember yeah. uh, Sophie Dupuy uh, wrote us a piece which is called Black Winter, and. And if you don't know Sophie, you should check her out. She's the, I think she's right now the president of the League of Canadian Composers, um, as well as Colin McMahon uh, and Matthew Emery. He wrote us a piece too. Nice. Um, but, um, but for me, that process is, is really cool because, um, and I've talked about this before on the podcast, it's a chance for us as uh, conductors to have a little bit of, a little bit, I will really use that word, of input when it comes to the, the creation itself. Um, Especially if you have someone who's maybe not used to writing for wins, um, you can help with that. And, you know, you'll try and workshop things in rehearsals. And maybe maybe that low horn is just a little too fartacious <laughs> uh, or, or something like that. And, and Kate, you, meant, you had just mentioned that with the, someone correcting a wrong note. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. you know, those kind of things. What, what's going to work best for a piece? I think that it's, it's cool to be involved in the process. Um, uh, and you know, and it p- put a little bit of a stamp on it, and, and you know, help help bring it. <laughs> I, don't, I almost said a new baby into the world. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's um, kind of what it feels like, though, like bir- <laughs> birthing a new a new piece into existence. <laughs> I agree, though. I agree. I agree with what you said. Um, I when I'm writing a commissioned work, I really try to connect with the commissioning ensemble or individual. Um, to understand what they're looking for and uh, what their strengths are and things like that. And um, so this is maybe more specific, a more specific answer to the question, you know, but just um, when I have the opportunity to write music and I know the people that I'm writing the music for Mm -hmm. and I get to know them, the music always ends up being better. It ends up representing not only who I am and my perspective on whatever it is that I'm representing, but also it's it's infused with this collaborative energy. And you can always tell, people don't necessarily know that that's why, but all of the pieces that have been commissioned by ensembles or organizations or, or individual people with whom I've established a really meaningful connection, those pieces end up being really well received. Yep. And I don't think that that's a coincidence. So, yeah. Totally agree. Totally agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and actually, one of the last conversations we had on the podcast before you were co-host was was about that exact thing. You know, um, sometimes yeah. the ensemble or the performer might be very re- removed from the process. And then it's just mm-hmm. like they're buying a homemade product <laughs> for themselves. Yeah. And that's kind of weird. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, certainly the, the talking and working together is a wonderful aspect of that. Just like the next question. I'm kidding. It has no relation <laughs> at all. Um, here's a here's a good one. In a race, who would win, Kate or Dylan? So I had to do some further digging. I didn't know what kind of race he was talking about. So I I, <laughs> I asked foot race, and he said, "Yeah, that would be funny." <laughs> uh, so uh, wow, yeah, who do you think would win in a foot race? Who would win in a foot race? A okay, well of I sorts. will. Yeah, I will preface this by saying that I. I'm not a runner. Mm-hmm. Um, I I have been at other times of my life. That'd be a really sad answer. I have I have run before. <laughs> Once in my life, I've run. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, so I mean, I'm inclined to always assume that the other person is going to oh, win. Oh, but wait. But but now that I think about it, 
I have never seen you run. Mm. So I don't actually know really? yeah, if that. you would be faster than me or if you would have more endurance. Yeah, I guess we, we had cool walks to sushi. So no, no running to the sushi. Yeah, no running. Um, no. Okay. Well, let me just tell you that I'm pretty 100% positive you would win. Um, and I'm, I'm going to get really open here. Um, okay. and, it, and it's part of my origin story as a musician. But when I was born, I was diagnosed with a heart condition. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, called aortic oh. stenosis. And uh, so it means one of my heart valves is, is smaller than the other one. So, so oh, eventually, wow. I didn't know that. Eventually, they get to replace that valve and I have a squeaky clean robot valve or a pig's valve. <laughs> Um, but because of that, um, anytime I run, I get winded very, very quickly. That um, makes sense. So if it was 100 meters, I would win, I think. Anything more than that, you would win. That's what I'm going to go with. <laughs> That's a good compromise because, yeah. you know, I think I, I would be better at the distance. I'm not very fast, yeah. um, but I go on long hikes. I could probably last oh, yeah. quite a bit, but I, I don't think I'm very, I don't think I'm very fast. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, thanks for sharing that about yourself. I didn't know that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I mean, I, it's, not the, it's nothing I've ever hidden, but <laughs> I, I no. always, I really <laughs> do use that as an excuse. Dylan, can you lift that box? Mmm. Don't think I can. Sorry. Do you mind running to get this for me? <laughs> no. Mm. Running literally? No, I don't think I can. Yeah, no. Anyway, there you go, folks. <laughs> We're both winners. <laughs> We're both winners. Yeah. All right. Uh, next question we've got here. If you were given a free concert ticket, including travel, what would be the first concert that you would want to attend post COVID? Well, it's hard to even imagine what that will look like at this point. Yeah. So this might be tricky, but does anything come to mind for you right away? Well, you know, I, I thought about questions like this before. And I had a discussion with, um, I don't want to keep name dropping, but I guess that's what I do. So um, yeah. <laughs> I had a dis We have no guest this yeah. week, so, you know, we can just have all these momentary I guests. I think I've almost mentioned every guest that's ever been on. But I was, <laughs> I was discussing this kind of idea with uh, Mark Hopkins at Acadia University about, um, like, when you listen to music, just like there's no, you have all the time in the world and just to improve yourself, your mood, what is it? And I literally could not answer it. And he was just ringing off like, Bruckner 3, oh, I love this recording of this. I was like, whoa, okay, I, uh, I just, Stevie Wonder? Um, <laughs> like, I, I don't know, I, I listen to a lot of music, but it's certainly, uh, I don't really have anything specific. So when I think mm -hmm. about this question, I really don't think I can answer it. Um, I, I don't know That's what okay. I would do. I just love going to concerts. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sorry that that might be a lame answer, but that's what I got. No, I mean, I think that's OK. You're basically just saying that as soon as it's possible to go to concerts again mm -hmm. and someone invites you to go to something, you will willingly consider it and, and be happy to go. But there isn't anything specific, like a specific artist or no. or anything like that that you'd like to see. And I think that's fine. Yeah. yeah I mean, I don't know either. There's there's nothing specific. Um, I just it's like it's been so long now that it feels like a dream to even be in a space with thousands of people collectively enjoying or being influenced by music on a stage you know like it's almost like that's a 
an imagination. Like it just lives in my imagination mm-hmm. now. So I also don't have a specific answer. I think I just, I love, I used to love going to concerts by myself, even, even things that I know other people would enjoy. Uh, sometimes I would just get a single ticket, you know, and, and the reason for that is because I really enjoy feeling the room of everybody else being moved by something. Mm. And so whether it's, um, you know, going to the TSO and uh, there's a mixture of people there who are longtime symphony subscribers and they're moving along to the piece because they know it that well. Mm. And then at the other end of the spectrum, there are people who are visiting for the first time, seeing their first ever live orchestra concert. And um, being able to witness those moments is really special, I think. So I don't necessarily think for me that it's about a specific person or group on a stage, but it's more about the experience of sharing that with others. And um, yeah, yeah, I know. Such a deep answer. We don't talk about that (laughs) a lot. You know, the experience of the, the experience as an audience member, feeling community with the rest of the audience. I never really truthfully yeah. think about it too much. Yeah. Very cool. I think I think maybe I think about that because I'm a composer mm-hmm. and I almost curate those experiences for people. Obviously I'm again coming back to this working with composers and performers and stuff. Like I'm dependent on other people right. to choose my music to present in the first place. But let's say that they do, I I get to transport all of those people to a moment in time or to a place or to a feeling or a question or whatever it is and know that however many people are out there listening to this performance, they are all experiencing the same frequencies around them. (laughs) I've always been really fascinated by that. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but it's just, it's cool to think about that. Um, And I I think even though we don't talk about it necessarily, I think, I hope, other people who are listening will go, actually, yeah, me too. I do really like that. And that is part of the process. Yeah. So what's yeah. wrong with you, Maddox? <laughs> what? <laughs> you don't, you've never thought about this? No, no. And we were kind of talking <laughs> about this before we started too, but just like when music becomes your livelihood, when, when music becomes your work mm-hmm. and your job, it is hard, I think, for a lot of us to find the balance between music being our jobs and music being something we enjoy for pleasure you know and so i think it makes a lot of sense that maybe you don't you don't know what that is because you know it's it's so wrapped up in what you do every day already thank you dr nishimura yeah (laughs) this has been a great great session (laughs) it's uh yeah therapy in the form of podcast conversations yeah yeah i might not even release this who knows no, I'm kidding. Not a waste of time. That way. No, I'm kidding. It wouldn't be a waste of time. Um, so someone has asked, I'd like to hear more about flexible instrumentation. Uh, is there a standard format? How are parts divided? I've been out of the field for a long time, but I still write and arrange for band. Hmm. I will toss this over your way, Madam <laughs> Composer. Yeah, that's a great question. And it's it's very pertinent to what is going on in our community, in our world mm. right now um, with the immediate demand for flexible, adaptable music uh, to suit the times, right? Um, I will start by saying that, at least in my opinion, from my perspective, 
there is no one singular right way to approach a flexible piece. Uh, I know of many, many composers who have been working very hard to create resources and repertoire that will be suitable for as many people as possible during this time and even beyond the pandemic as well. I think there are um, there are so many uses for flexible music, not just in a pandemic remote learning type of situation, but considering smaller music programs that don't have full instrumentation and or uh, mixed level ensembles where you have some students that really need a challenge and others who really need something uh, pretty basic. And I think that those situations exist. They existed before the pandemic and they will they will exist again afterwards as well. So this influx of flexible music is probably going to be a really good thing Mm -hmm. for the community even moving forward. all of that said, there is no one way to do this. Uh, every every flex piece that I've seen, every composer that I've talked to about creating this kind of music has a completely different approach. Um, and I think the the most important things, if, if anyone is interested in creating a flexible uh, composition or an arrangement of something that exists already, you want to be making sure that all of the most important melodic content and harmonic content is covered in your arrangement if it exists already. If it's a brand new piece, you want to make sure that you have a really solid idea because with only four parts or three parts or five parts, whatever it is, you have a limited number of independent voices. And that's different from writing for full band because, you know, when when I'm writing for full band, I can I can identify the discrepancy between both clarinet parts playing something (laughs) versus only one clarinet part and pairing it with a saxophone or with something else. When you're writing a flexible piece, you don't know who's going to be doing what at any given time. Every single performance or rehearsal of a flexible piece is going to be completely unique and different from every other time that it has existed. So you kind of have to know that going in Mm -hmm. when you're creating um, an original piece or an arrangement. Um, so that's, you know, I, I would say the most important thing to think about. Uh, and we kind of talked about this when we were, when we were chatting about bad band pieces, <laughs> you know, and, and what, <laughs> what not to do. Uh, but this comes into play with flexible music too. I think, uh, you, you don't want there to be, uh, anybody who's doing everything the whole time or doing nothing the whole time. You want to try to be, equitable between however many parts you have so that everybody is equally engaged um but also not overworked mm-hmm. you know the, find, finding some sort of balance there um and maybe i mean what what's your experience as a conductor because i know you're, you're working on a couple of flexible pieces yeah. what are the things that you look for when you're choosing a piece to work on with your groups um well yeah i'm in my second semester of doing strictly flex music and like you said, I think the f- the first thing that is very apparent to me is how different each composer's piece is, and you can tell how the process mm-hmm. was different. If we talk about, well, let's, well, we can, we'll use Into the Blue and um, Alex Shapiro's passages, for instance. Mm-hmm. One's a cell-based mm-hmm. piece with electronics uh, that might 
make uh, a little bit more use of uh, improvisational techniques and she even offers that as a as a choice um mm -hmm. uh, so there's that idea um and the same thing with Giovanni Santos. He has a number of uh, cell-based pieces that are inspired by, I think the one that we're doing now is in, in, in blue or in green, which was inspired by um, mm. Frank Tichelli. So it, And it's yeah. got lots of crazy uh, rhythms in there and stuff. But there's so there's so those cool. kind of cell-based things. And, uh, and I, you know, I could list <laughs> every kind of compositional technique. So there, there's, there's, there's those kind of things. Um, one thing that I didn't think about when I started listening to flex music uh, until I kind of started diving in more and thinking about my students is that n really none of them get a rest. So uh, yeah. it's a lot of time on the face compared to regular time in, in full band, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, yeah. And I, t you know, I've, I'm very open with them and tell them <laughs> about the process. And this is, this yeah. is probably going to be one of the more difficult endurance things that you do in your playing life. Because um, yeah. if you think about like we're doing um, two movements from Lincolnshire arranged by Michael Sweeney's, um, mm -hmm. it's it's like one of those first kind of flex things from Hal Leonard, right? So um, yeah. if you if you if you cut down Horkstow Grange, it's going to be um, a lot. Everyone has to play to get that kind of sound. And there's numerous times exactly. where uh, it's you know it's the no break section, right? You have to go into that big crunchy chord where every chill is given but if you have in one instance here uh eight players you kind of <laughs> you, you someone's got to breathe so the that no break yeah. thing in granger is is not going to happen so there's stuff like that that um mm -hmm. i've kind of noticed as a as a conductor um that being said it's 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 been great because um we're also doing this uh, arrangement of a thomas Tallis thing by Steve Danu and everyone has the score in front of them so it's all, it mm -hmm. shows all the parts so for the first time I can kind of talk about uh, well we can talk about score studying and talk about listening to other people and they can see it we can even switch parts uh, very yeah. quickly we can have fun with the color and all that uh, and you find that when we go back to maybe what we already had it set at the intonations improved because they're listening to the other things they know uh, mm -hmm. where the third of it in the chord is they can see it all those kind of things so that's that's been a, kind of a highlight for me in the whole adaptable um, yeah. adventure the one thing I want to point out just because you're asking for some advice I strongly recommend you go to the creative repertoire initiative website because on the website um, Robert Ambrose and friends um, all the many <laughs> wonderful composers uh, have you know they might I know um, Alex has a little thing about her process I know uh, Brian Balmages has also a little bit about his process uh, same with Frank they all kind of have a little bit there uh, which might yeah. be helpful for you to, to check out yeah, they were helpful for me as I was starting because I'm, I'm a little bit later to the flex mm -hmm. game. It took me a little while to wrap my head around what to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, it was helpful to see uh, because those composers have templates of, you know, an example of the first page of one of their flexible scores just to give you a sense of some of the options. You know, do you show every part with every transposition or do you uh, create 
you know, a, a short score where it's just parts one, two, three, four in concert pitch. Um, you know, there are different approaches to this and every conductor is going to have their own preferences. Every composer will have their own uh, approach mm-hmm. that works for them, you know, working with different software, working with different instrumentation um, for the original pieces and things like that. So it's yeah. this really is a bit of a free for all. Um, but <laughs> as Dylan mentioned, there are resources out there and especially now almost a year into the pandemic, uh, people have started to figure it out. And, and I think everybody in the community wants to help each other. You know, I, I really think that it's, this is a non-competitive aspect of what we're doing. I had to work hard to wrap my head around that and just know that, uh, when I didn't have any flexible music out there, uh, that that didn't make me lesser of a composer mm-hmm. or or something like that. That if other people had figured out how to do this before I did, that's great. I'm really happy that that music existed, yeah. and and I don't think that there was any shame in asking a question. I had to ask other composers, "How do you do this? What are you? Uh, how are you conceptualizing this? You know." Uh, so, if if the person who asked the question, or if anyone else out there is thinking about doing an arrangement or anything like that ask questions of each other, talk to other composers, mm-hmm. talk to conductors and say, hey, you know, what do you like? What flex pieces do you like? Yeah. What have, what has worked for you in your program? And, and that'll give you a good idea. Yeah, totally agree with the whole community thing. Yeah. yeah it was just like last couple of weeks ago, someone texted me and said, hey, what's your favorite, what's your favorite adaptable music? Yeah. Someone told them I was an expert, which I'm not. I'm not a flex <laughs> expert. I have some music that I like. A flexpert. A flexpert. We've coined a new term here, folks. <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Um, so we got a couple of questions left. Uh, which book that you've read has had the most impact on you, banned or otherwise? Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, this is a book that has been spoken about on this podcast before, Ta-da. Uh, but not not while I was a host. Oh, so right, I go. will take the opportunity <laughs> to talk about it. Uh, the most recent book that I've read that had the biggest impact on me is Staying Composed by Dale Trumbor, who was a guest on the podcast a little while ago. And um, this book has just, it has been such a great resource for me not only as a composer, but just as a creative-minded human being. Mm -hmm. I really don't think, and I I know, Dylan, you've talked about this as well, just the the applications for uh, performers and teachers and all sorts of other people um, working in the arts in general. I don't think that it's specific to being a composer, but... um, some of the advice in that book has has stuck with me since the first time I read it. Mm-hmm. And I the first time I read it, I was on a plane and I was like crying on the plane, uh, not because it was sad mm-hmm. or anything, but because of how much it resonated with yeah. me, because of how spot on uh, so much of it was. It's just about self-doubt and about overcoming um you know, the issues that we kind of run up against that we create for ourselves sometimes. So I, that's that's definitely my number one right now. There are lots of books yeah. that have been incredibly helpful, but I think it was just written from such a, a real and honest perspective that that was really helpful to me. Absolutely. Yeah. And I and I don't think um, this person would mind me mentioning it, but I have 
I'm, to an annoying point, probably, I always mention to my students that a new episode is out or a, whatever I learned in a conversation with someone. So I, a lot of my students listen to the podcast. Um, mm-hmm. But I had just lent this book out um, this week to a student because, you know, there was there was those questions of self-doubt, not from a, a composer yeah. standpoint, but as as someone who's applying to the going to the go on to the next step, you know, uh, mm-hmm. are they going to want what I have to offer, uh, all of those things that are discussed in that book. And it, it, so anyway, so it's a, it's a great resource for anyone, as Kate said, in a creative mind, creative space. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the, one of the big things that I've t- I took away from that book is something really simple. I just go for more walks. Yeah, walks are great. Yeah, just to, like without yeah. the phone, without headphones in, I'm listening to chickadees, whatever it is, right? Uh, Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to just take my mind out of the numerous project ideas that I might have and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But for me, my book would be, uh, I think, The Art of Possibility. uh, Nice. By Rosamond Stone Zander and uh, uh, Ben Zander. yeah, that I, I read that first in my master's degree, and it it, it had a great impact on me certainly then. Um, just maybe uh, not, not so much the he even talks about it in the book. It's not a positive thinking book. It's just kind of retwisting maybe your situation in a different light. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly as a teacher now, I reread this book every single year. Um, just to remind myself, and especially the chapter on uh, giving an A, uh, and that in your life, uh, you should give A's to everyone right away before you meet them. And they, it's not something that they um, build up to, but it is something that they are. And now, you know, if stuff happens, <laughs> then, then we can do that. But you can do this with your students. You can do this with the waiter or waitress at a restaurant, uh, whatever it is. Everyone I try to see in the hallway is an A, and that really um, affects how I speak. It affects how I uh, treat the person and all of those things. So I think that that idea has been – I don't think I would ever take it to the extent that he did when he was at uh, was it Boston University where in his class he gave everyone an A. <laughs> and, and <laughs> yeah, so I don't think I would actually do that, but just that idea – um, is, is, is great. Almost like the idea of, of giving people the benefit of the doubt, right? Mm-hmm. Like just, just going in with an open mind that, okay, like if somebody is acting out or not pulling their weight or being aggressive mm-hmm. or whatever it is that perhaps there is a backstory to that. Yeah. And that can be such a useful tool. I can imagine, uh, as a teacher conductor, but just you know as a person in everyday life as well and you know yeah i don't well i've I've certainly talked to colleagues and friends about this but uh you know this year especially you have students come into your office or your classroom and they might not be they might look like they're not totally responsive to what you're saying yeah and you as the teacher um, I certainly can speak from this experience. Have been like, no, like, what? No, I try to get more excited, and I and I go to that person, and I, maybe in some cases I get angry and, and those kind of things. Uh, not remembering that we're in a world pandemic, and in in one case in particular, I remember a student came into my office, and um, usually a very quiet person, uh, doesn't say much, um, but this person came in and was just like a completely 
different person. And I didn't say anything. I just, I was like, oh, wow. And, um, and they were like, well, you probably noticed something different about me. And I'm like, well, I wasn't going to say anything, but, but yeah, you're, you know, (laughs) you seem very, very, very happy to be here and you're, um, engaging in discussion and, and all these things. And it turns out that this person had been struggling with something and had been put on the proper medication. And for the first time as this person's teacher, I saw who they are, like for the Aww. first time. And yeah. and I, I, w- I actually started crying in my office in front of the student because I just couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Because we have no freaking idea what half of our students are going through. And we just yeah. judge them right away. And yeah. it's it's their fault. And, you you know, nothing is our fault. And, yeah, yeah. and just remind that the, the art of possibility always brings me back to that point where, no, you know, someone might be having a bad day. It's not, it's not, everything's not on you and, you know, all those yeah. kind of things. So can I share one more? I'll, <laughs> um, yeah, 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 of course. I remember of course, whenever, <laughs> last year I was teaching my conducting course at um, Laurentian University. And I try to be really lighthearted and fun and, and stuff in, in uh, lessons and um, or in class, rather. Uh, but, you know, you, often you can't get a read on the room. And I remember uh, one time a student emailed me right before a conducting test, like the day of, saying, oh, are you going to be in your office today? And I, for some reason, my first conclusion was, oh, this, par- this person probably wants an extension and they want whatever. It was something bad. It was my conclusion. Yeah. And I said, yeah, I'll be I'll be in my office at like one or something like that. And uh, they're like, okay, I'm going to come uh, see you. So they came and saw me and uh, opened the door. And uh, there's that student. And they say, I have a gift for you. Aww. Uh, and it's in my office at home. Uh, I'm in the, the studio today. <laughs> but yeah. um, it was this painting of a baton. <laughs> And underneath it, it said flick because I'm always talking about <laughs> flick and, and, and wrists and yeah. trying to get that. Oh, that that's motion. so sweet. But on the, and I was like, oh, that was nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice painting. Yeah. Uh, and then she's like, oh, no, flip it over. And on the back of it was this, this note about how, you know, this student struggles with depression and um, often doesn't want to come to class. This person wants to be a music teacher because they want to make a difference in someone's life. And she had mentioned that that I helped make a difference in her life. And that's part of the reason why she wants to be a music teacher. And I, once again, <laughs> cried in front of the student yeah, in my of office. Course. But it's, it's goes back to that whole, like, you never know what they're going through. Like I had no idea yeah. uh, about all of that. And I'm just trying to be the best person and teacher I can be in front of them yeah. and hopefully have a positive impact. So and that doesn't happen and all the time. Did. Yeah, that one time. But you know, I've definitely, <laughs> I've flipped, <laughs> I've flipped no. out before. But just that one time, someone told you in a concrete way. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure, I'm sure it happens more times than you think. And I think it says a lot that your assumption was that in their asking to come to your office, that it was going to be something bad. You assumed that there was going to be a problem for you to have to solve, right? And and that it was actually uh, such a nice moment. And that is a good. Mm-hmm. Um, reminder just to to keep an open mind to things like that yeah and who knows we'll probably both have many more stories like this in our lives but yeah, long story short so. go get staying composed by dale trembor and listen to her episode as well as mm-hmm. art of possibility by the xanders okay we have come to the last question 
Um, mm -hmm. But before we get to that question, I just want to remind all of you that we are going to go on to a bonus episode and we have no idea what we're going to talk about. So if you've enjoyed our conversation, our banter, you could become a patron on Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash bandroompod where you could hear that conversation as well as many more. Um, so that might be something for you to check out um, and we'll have that in the links for you. But I want to know, <laughs> easy question, what are your plans <laughs> post-pandemic? Ooh, I don't think that's an easy question because <laughs> no one knows what that's going to look like. It's It's really hard to imagine something that doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I'm not sure career-wise, I'm not even going to go there, I think, because I think that the past year has forced all of us mm -hmm. to reinvent ourselves, at least in some capacity, and uh, to just reevaluate our priorities, or at least that has been the case for me. I, I think that's the case for, for many people. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's really too soon to know what all of this is going to look like post pandemic. But I know that I won't take anything for granted. Uh, when we have the opportunity to gather again, I don't think that I'll ever be in a position to kind of tune out from the conversation. Not that I'm in the habit of doing that, but you know, if I'm with other people, I, I imagine that I'll be more present mm -hmm. than I was before. And if, like I talked about with the concert scenario, going to a concert with other people, being able to pick up on the energy of the room of the other people in there, I think I'm just going to latch onto that and be so excited mm -hmm. about that and want to chase that feeling and create that feeling for others. I, I imagine that my intention will shift, you know, once once we're able to do things normally again. Uh, I, I think that I'm just going to do everything that I can uh, to have a positive impact on as many people as I can and to be really present in all moments of my life, whether professionally or personally, even if it, that's just going for a walk, like you said, uh, into a new place, but taking the extra time to kind of pay attention to the bird and wonder what bird it is, you know, instead of passively just hearing mm -hmm. it. I, I think that I know I'm rambling a bit, but just I imagine all of the things that I've missed in the past almost a year and that when I get the chance to do them again, uh, I I will just be so grateful to be able to do it that I, I don't think I'll be as anxious about things as I used to be. I don't think I'll place so much weight on everything. I think right. I'll just be happy to get to do it, if you know what yep. I mean. I'm picking up what you're putting down. I am <laughs> I am smelling what you're stepping in. Yeah. 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 I, I also don't, there's so many questions that I don't know how to answer. And this is one, yeah. and certainly there, there will be changes in my life that I cannot talk about. Mm -hmm. But um, but I think, you know, I'll st we'll still be doing the podcast, that's for sure. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. You know, I really don't know how to answer this question. That's okay. Maybe we'll get to do some podcast episodes in person one day. Oh my gosh, again. can you imagine? Yeah. I mean, we're set up for, for to do this remotely. And so we can continue doing that, especially with people that are from 
out of town and when and if we're in different places but i imagine that we get to actually sit at a table together and have a conversation and we should, we like, should go to mid that seems like such a small thing but it would be we so should go cool. to midwest or something the band yeah. podcast live so to, uh, yeah. well i'm gonna try to answer the question at least um yeah you know i'll certainly be teaching someone uh, <laughs> um mm-hmm. and you'll be doing our regular thing uh, but yeah, I, I'm very lucky that I think a lot of my work hasn't changed too much because of the pandemic. Even my own life, I don't. I'm 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 one to joke about. I don't get out much, but I really don't get out much. <laughs> I love staying at home. I love reading yeah. uh, and doing those things and doing the podcast. Like Kate said, we do it remote, so um, you know I get to talk to people all the time, anywhere. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, I am going to say that next week is very exciting because Kate and I are going to be speaking with the wonderful, the amazing Alex Shapiro, which is very exciting. Yeah. So uh, exciting. Yeah. So, but that's kind of, that's kind of what, I'm, I'm sorry I couldn't answer that question better, but, um, this has been fun. I've liked it. I've liked yeah. this. Me too. Even the questions that you maybe feel like you know, we haven't answered Mm -hmm. thoroughly or specifically have led to really interesting conversation. And and I think that's the whole point of a question in a podcast. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's not about getting the answer, but just provoking the thought. Let me fully define a podcast to you. No, (laughs) I have just like flex pieces. They come in many different (laughs) forms. Yes. Um, yes. But no, this, this has been uh, very cool. So if, (laughs) if you, if if you liked this, let us know. Maybe we can do it again. And if you mm-hmm. weren't a big fan, still be nice to us. Uh, but you know, <laughs> m- maybe say, "Oh, we'd like to hear <laughs> not from you so much anymore." Suggest <laughs> suggest a guest for us to have on next yeah. time if if you want. I've to talked hear that about instead. this. I want people to tell me what they want more. Like, is yeah. there any exciting topics that you want to know about? Any resources that maybe lightly that you need created? <laughs> or people that you yeah. want to hear from, just like Kate mentioned. Um, we want to hear from you. And you can easily get in contact with us either on social media or our email, which is hello at bandroompod.com. And it's uh, very easy to do that. I wish we had a voicemail thing. We used to, but not anymore. Um, but, yeah, I would love a voicemail. My goodness. But anyway, so thanks so much, Kate. <laughs> For this conversation. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, this has been we've fun. I've learned things about you. You know, it's yeah, nice. that I'm out of shape. <laughs> no, okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, bye. Thanks so much for spending time with us in the band room. If you want to learn more about anything we discussed in today's episode, you should visit our website, bandroompod.com. If you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe to the band room and give us that rating and review and maybe tell a friend how much you enjoyed it. If you really love the show, consider donating to our Patreon page where you can donate to BRP and get some extra incentives in return, like bonus episodes, monthly Zoom hangs with me and a mystery guest, and even some BRP merch. 
Speaking of another way to support the podcast, you could buy some BRP merch helping to offset podcast hosting costs and investments into new equipment so that we can continue to bring you great content and great people. Follow us on our social media at BandroomPod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube to keep up with what is on the go. And if you have any thoughts on today's episode, leave us a comment on our website. And who knows, that comment might be featured in a future episode of BRP. A big giant thanks to composer EKR Hamill for letting us use his piece Skyline as the BRP theme music, which was performed by the University of Toronto Wind Ensemble, conducted by Dr. Gillian McKay. Stay safe and be well, bandies. Thanks again for stopping by the band room. <laughs>